Tonight we're going to go through chapter 3 and chapter 4 of Ephesians. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Thank you. And then to the end of chapter 3. According to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Thank you. All right, Nathaniel, if you could take the first 16 verses of chapter 4. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, walk worthy of your calling, which you were called, with all lowliness, gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, and endeavoring to keep unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led the captive and gave gifts to men. Now, this he ascended, what does it mean? but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended, also the one who ascended, far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave himself, some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come into the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to the perfect man, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, 
that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow it up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. Yeah, good, thank you. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understandings darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of, their, because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanliness and with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you were put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. 25. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbours, with his neighbour, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but let him, but rather let him labour, work with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but whatever is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, but whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Amen. Amen. Thank you. All right. So, before we kick in, let's, uh, let's go to the Lord one more time in prayer. Father, thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word that speaks to us. Father, thank you that we can open up your word, Lord, and come here into your presence, Lord, and expect you to speak to us. Lord, we can expect you to to reveal something new, Lord, out of this text. Lord, because we don't fully understand it. We don't fully have a grasp on everything that that you know, Father, because your understanding is unsearchable. Father, we, can, we can't fully, fully grasp all of your knowledge, Lord, because you are so much greater than us. Your ways are so much higher than ours, Lord. Your thoughts are so much higher than ours. But Father, we know that you can teach us tonight, Lord. Teach us something new about, about Jesus and the work that he did on the cross for us, the work he did for me. Father, teach us something, Lord, in our lives that, that we can take from here, Lord, and, and we can grow as Christians, Lord. We can grow together as the body of Christ. And Father, I pray most importantly tonight, Lord, that we would draw closer to Jesus, Lord, with this new information. Lord, that as James says, Lord, we wouldn't just be hearers of the word, but doers. So Father, I pray that for each one of us, Lord, that as we look into the mirror, Lord, tonight and see things in our lives, Lord, that, that may not line up with your scripture, 
Lord, that we wouldn't leave here tonight with making that right before we make that right with you. So, Father, I pray that you would speak now, Lord. Speak through me. Take my words away, Lord, and replace them with yours. And, Father, that everyone here, Lord, including myself, would have ears open to hear what you want to speak, Lord, because we don't want to miss out when you speak, Lord. So open our ears to your voice. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's take a quick review what we went over last week. Okay, so we went through chapters 1 and 2. Um, we were reading through chapter 2 where it says, You who we made alive, who were dead. So he's made us alive who were dead. And we went through all these nasty things of what we were. Um, you know, we walked according to the prince of the power of the air. And we were sons of disobedience. Um, it says, You... Once Gentiles in the flesh. So this letter is to Gentiles. Um, that's us. Anyone who's not Jewish. I'm, is there anyone here who is Jewish? Who can trace their ancestry back to, to Jewish? Okay, so this is to all of us. Okay. Um, who you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And we also see that now in Christ Jesus, we are brought near by the blood of Christ. And last week we saw that, that middle wall of separation being broken down, where there was once a separation between Jews and Gentiles. And as Landon was explaining, the Gentiles couldn't even enter certain parts of the temple. They couldn't go past a certain area. And how through Jesus... That was broken down, and God came out. God came out, and he wants to meet with us personally. Um, through Jesus, we have access by one spirit to the Father. We also read that now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members. We are members of the household of God. We say we, we reside there with God. So, we head out of there into chapter 3, and chapter 3 continues with the same, the same thoughts, the same teaching. And we see Paul here, um, he says he was a prisoner of Christ for the purpose of revealing to the Gentiles that they could be saved through Jesus. This is what the Jews had, had, had wrong with his teachings, because they, they were teaching you had to be Jewish and able to, to worship God, to, to be forgiven of your sins. And this teaching that Paul came out with was completely revolutional. This was completely against what had been taught previously by the Jews. And we, um, yeah, let's, let's start off in, in verse 1, chapter 3. It says, For this reason I, Paul, prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles... If indeed you have heard of the dispensation of grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery. So we see this word mystery. And when I, for a long time when I'd read that, I was like, what's he talking about? What's he mean by a mystery? 
And my understanding of a mystery is like, all right, who killed John? I think it was the professor in the ballroom with the candlestick. Now, that's not what he's talking about here. What's this mystery he's talking about? Well, he's going to explain it in a little bit here. But a mystery is just simply something that hasn't been revealed yet. So we're, we're waiting for this mystery. We're waiting for something to be revealed to us. And we're going to see that in a couple of verses here. And it says, as I have briefly written already, that's in verse 4, by which, when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. So we see this, this information we're about to get here was not made known. People in the past did not understand this, but is now being revealed. And it says in verse 6, here it is, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. So there it is right there. That's the mystery. This is what had not been revealed in the past, that we together, us as Gentiles, can be partakers of this, this great grace of God. We can be partakers with, with God's chosen people, the Jewish nation, and we can interact with God. We can interact with our Creator. We can have a relationship with the God, the God of heaven and earth that we sang about tonight. This God who created the highest mountain, all the trees of the forest and, and the rivers and the oceans and everything, we, as Gentiles, now have an opportunity to, to interact with Him on a personal level. And that's something to rejoice about. And that's, that was kind of my... like In my head as I was studying, I had these little titles for these sections. And chapter 3, for me, as as one who has put my trust in Jesus, as one who has, has interacted with God on a personal level, this chapter right here is reason to rejoice. And yeah, I'm so thankful. Okay, now we see Paul here, continuing on in verse 7. He says, talking about this mystery, the Gentiles being fellow heirs, he says, of which I became a minister according to the gifts of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. So Paul is talk, saying that, that this message, this mystery has been revealed to him by God and his job, his, what, what he's been entrusted with is, is taking this message around. And we'll see throughout his ministry that he made trips all throughout the regions of Turkey, all throughout the regions of Greece, and even up into over into Europe a bit, and just all over the place. This guy was always on the road, always going to where no one had gone before, teaching about Jesus, and teaching these Gentiles, even here in Ephesus, that they too can receive Christ. And, yeah, that's, that's awesome. Okay, in verse 8, he says, To me who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ 
And we kind of see here Paul talking about the purpose of his ministry. And he starts off with a humble opinion of himself. And as I, I love about Paul is he knows who he is. He knows his, his position. He knows that he isn't God. He knows that he isn't the one who died on the cross. He knows that he isn't the one who made it so that these Gentiles, us, could believe, place our trust in Jesus Christ and have the same, the same heritage, the same promise in Christ. He's not the one who made that possible. He knows that God has simply entrusted him with this information as a messenger to go and share this good news. And I love that Paul is leading by example here. He, he's the one who's going out and saying, I'm the least of the least of the saints. You know, pretty much who am I that God would pick me, handpick me to go and share this? And he's faithful to do, to do what he was called to do. And that's, that's honorable. It's challenging to me. Okay, and then going on in verse 9, he says, To make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent, for the purpose of, that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Hold on. What I just got out of that text right there is that God, the manifold wisdom of God, is going to be made known to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Angels, principalities, powers in the heavenly places, it says by the church. So this whole revelation, this whole mystery that was revealed about the Gentiles being fellow heirs of the same body. My understanding of this is that the angels didn't even understand that and that they are seeing what's happening here and they're seeing this and they're like, whoa, the church, it's not made up of just Jewish people anymore. How can this be? We didn't even know this was going to happen. There's Jewish people. There's, there's Gentiles. They're all one body. It's just, yeah, that kind of makes my mind twist. It's like, ah, I thought angels... No, angels don't know everything. Angels are not God. Which is good, because fallen angels are not God as well. That's good news. All right, verse 11. So according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in Him. So we can boldly access God with confidence through our faith that we place in Jesus Christ. It says, Therefore I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulation for you, which is your glory. All right. We close off chapter 3 here with Paul praying. He's praying for the Ephesians. And... I just want to mark out the few things that he's praying for here. He's asking for some pretty 
pretty high things. It says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, first off, we note that he's praying to the Father. He's praying to our Father. Just as Jesus instructed in Matthew 6, where he says, our, pray this way, our Father who art in heaven. So that was just something to note. Okay? He says, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Okay? I read that. From whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. We are, we are children of God. And we have his name. You know, if, if God's last name was fill in the blank, I would be David fill in the blank. Okay? I, I've been adopted into his family and he's given me his name. It, it blows my mind. I was trying to, to put it into like something that I could understand. And... In the Old Testament, you have the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay, so someone would walk up and say, Hi, I'm David of the tribe of Judah. So his family name is, is Judah, because he comes from the tribe of Judah, because his great-great-great-great-grandfather was Judah. So I could say, I am David of God. I am David of the family of God. That's my lineage. That's not my earthly lineage, but that's my father. My father is God. And that's crazy. And it says the whole family in heaven and on earth is named after him. Some of this stuff, God's just going to have to show me when I get to heaven to make me understand it because this is, this is pretty crazy. All right. So here's his prayer. This is his prayer to God, the father in heaven. He says that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. Okay, do you guys remember from last week? You guys remember a picture that was shown up here from Paris? And this, this leader in Paris wanted us to remember his, something that, that brought glory to his name. And, you know, there was lots of nice uh, architecture going on in this building. There was shining gold up on top. It was made of, of polished stone. And that was, that was the riches of this leader. Okay? And we remember that the riches of our God, what God wants to show his riches by, is his glory and his love. And so here Paul is praying that God would grant us according to the riches of his glory. So this is what he has abundance of. To be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Okay. This tells me that my inner man needs to be strengthened. Does anyone else have that issue where their inner man needs to be strengthened? I know I do. But God, who is rich in glory, he will strengthen us with the might of His Spirit. Remember, his, if, if we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, His Holy Spirit is living inside of us. And He strengthens our inner man. It says that Christ may dwell in your hearts 
through faith. Jesus wants to move in to our lives. He wants to move into our hearts. And he wants to to interact with us. He wants to be in every part of our lives, to change our lives to something that's so much better than we've ever known. He says that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able, that means we're not able without him, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. Okay? So, this love of Christ, it passes knowledge. Can any of us comprehend something that passes our understanding, that surpasses it, that's higher than our understanding? This sounds like something impossible to me, doesn't it? Does it sound like that to you? Okay. Um, Then we have the next statement, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. How can we be filled with all the fullness of God? We move on to the next verse and we get our answer. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Nothing is impossible for God. And we come to God with our, our little problems. You know, God, I, I stubbed my finger. You know, can you, can you heal my finger and make it not hurt so bad? And, you know, that's it. That's all we, you know, we just ask him just haphazardly. It's like, oh, God, you know, heal my finger. I don't want to feel that anymore. And then we find out, you know, uh, a close friend or a relative has a disease that could potentially take their life. What do we do then? You know, we, we fall on our knees. We fall flat on the ground. We're like, God, God, I, this is something that's impossible. You know, there's no cure for this. God, I, I, we need you to, to, to intervene here, you know, or don't let them die, you know, painfully. Or whatever. God doesn't have... God is nothing for God. God created our bodies. He molded us out of the ground. God spoke and the earth was created. It's nothing for God to do either one of those. And we see it as, God, this is something so small. God, this is something so big. God God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us this power works in us it tra- it's transforming our lives it's renewing our minds it's creating us into a new creation if we are in Christ we are a new creation because Jesus has transformed our lives he's taken our old lives to the grave and he's given us new life as Jesus rose from the dead to offer us that And it finishes off, to him be the glory, to him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. Amen. And this is the splitting point of the book. The first three chapters, we read what God did for us. 
I'll briefly go over a, f- a few of those. Um, we see that every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, we've been blessed with that. We see that in the dispensation in the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ. We also see that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. We see that according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. We see that he made us alive together with Christ. And he made us to sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You see, for we are his workmanship created in Christ for good works. We also see that without Christ, we were aliens of the commonwealth of Israel, strangers of the covenants and promises, having no hope. We also see that now in Christ Jesus, who you once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We see that Jesus Christ, being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building, being fit together, grows into a holy temple. And then tonight, what we had read, the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. Okay, and then a couple more here. We see God who created all things together or through Jesus Christ. And that according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You guys kind of see a a common theme there. That all of this, all of this that happened here was accomplished in Christ Jesus. Jesus did all of this. God did all of this for us and through Jesus, in Jesus. Without Jesus, take the first three chapters and, and, and throw them out. Because without Jesus, this wasn't possible. Without his sacrifice on the cross for our place. And... If we don't have the first three chapters here, we're not going to do very well in the last three. Chapters four and six, we are now a new creation. And we're, we're going to see what God is doing in us. We're going to see what God is doing in us and he want, what he wants to do through us. All right. Chapter four. Start off with Paul again. He started off the last chapter talking about him being a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you. Does anyone know what beseech you means? He's pleading with us. He's, Paul is pleading with us. He says, to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Um, the word beseech. Um, in, uh, sorry, chapter 4, verse 1. Sorry? Yeah, pleading. Um, beseech, like pleading or begging. It says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called. So we're called to follow Christ.
Jesus came and he, he was on earth and he led by example. We can read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and we can see Jesus. We can see him calling the disciples. He says, come, follow me. Come walk with me. And Jesus led by example. So we have beautiful four books of an account of Jesus walking on earth. And we're called to walk worthy of the calling with which we are called. And we have an amazing example of who to follow. And these, these attributes that we see after here in verse 2, it says, with all lowliness. Lowliness is having an, a humble opinion of oneself. And when I, when I think of lowliness, um, I think of Philippians 2, verse 3, where it says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. So that's a practical example of lowliness. We're to put others higher than ourselves. Okay? So we're supposed to walk worthy of the calling with which we are called with all lowliness and gentleness. Okay? Gentleness is a mildness or meekness. We can see that as part of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Okay? With long-suffering. All right? So... That doesn't sound like it's it's necessarily a smooth road. It doesn't sound like, you know, sitting around eating bonbons all day long. It says, with long suffering, with patience, endurance, okay, consistency, steadfastness, perseverance. Those are some of the the ideas behind this word of long suffering. Alright? And I was okay getting to this point. This is I was, okay, I can have a humble opinion of myself. After all, I'm not God, obviously. Okay, I can, I'm probably more of a mild person. Okay, so, so far, it's all right. Long-suffering, I mean, I can at least look like I'm patient. You know, if I'm being mild and meek, you know, I may not be getting upset at every circumstance. But this next part here says we're supposed to be bearing with one another in love. Okay? This word bearing with one another, this word bearing here, it can mean to hold up. Okay, we're hold up one another. To sustain, to bear, or to endure. Or another way to put it, we're to put up with one another. And love. Okay? You're on the bus. And some guy comes and sits next to you. And he reaches into his bag and pulls out some food. And it stinks. Now sometimes people can eat something on the bus and the whole bus just stinks like that. So he's eating this food. You don't know this guy from anybody. So you have no problem getting up moving to a different corner of the bus because you're not going to put up with that. All right? You're riding with your friend. They pull out something, some food, and it stinks. They're your friend. You just deal with it. You know, you might say something, like, 
dude, your food stinks. Okay? But you put up with it. You deal with it. Because they're your friend. This goes even... This, is, this goes a step beyond that. Because what we're going to be seeing in this chapter, chapter 4 here, is this whole idea of unity within the body. We're going to be seeing that we all together in Christ are connected. And Landon gave an example of that last week with the cannons of the French army that were melted down to make these lion statues or these cannons of the English army that were melted down to make this, forget this other statue, exactly what shape it was, but how those all separate cannons were melted down to make one. In the same way, as Christians, we all together form one body of Christ. And we all work together to accomplish to accomplish what the body is supposed to do. And we're going to be seeing a little bit more about that, what that's supposed to look like. Okay, so... If we are bearing with one another in love, that means, but I have a right to be upset with them because their personality is, it doesn't interact well with mine, so it's okay. No, it doesn't say that. Or, you know, we could come up with whatever excuse we might want to try, but we are told here, that if it's, going, if it's going to be in love, the selfless love that Christ has called us to, that Christ led by example, showing this kind of love, putting others first, then our prayer should be, Lord, I'm having an issue. I'm having, I'm having trouble being with this person, you know, whatever your your excuse was, their personality or whatever, Lord, it's causing me not to want to put up with them anymore. Lord, change my heart. Lord, show me how I can love them as you love them. Because you died for them. And they are my brother or sister in Christ. That's something that hit me. So I just wanted to share that with you. All right, moving on to verse 3. We see endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. This word endeavoring is to hasten, make haste, or to exert oneself, or to give diligence. So we're supposed to be diligently pursuing to keep the unity of the Spirit. All too often there's division. All too often there's division in the body of Christ. And can something that's warring against itself stay alive? No. Isn't that cancer? We are to be actively pursuing to keep unity within the body. We move on in verse 4. It says, There is one body, one spirit, one hope. 
There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. If you could really quickly turn to John chapter 17. Jesus, just before he was betrayed, he prayed for you and me. Prayed for his disciples, but he specifically in here prayed for you and me on this exact issue. We go to John 17, verse 20. I'm going to be reading through 26. It says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's me and anyone here who's believed. Verse 21. That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be one in us. That the, word, that the world may believe that you sent me and the glory which you gave me I have given them. That they may be one just as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you gave me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world, O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. And these have known that you sent me. And that I have declared to them your name. And will declare it. That the love which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. And here we have Jesus praying for us to be unified. Before we even believed, he was praying for us. I find that amazing. But Jesus knew it would be an issue. And we can see in almost every letter that Paul writes, he addresses this issue of unity. So I don't think this is something that, that is some small issue if we see it addressed this often. And out of the, the two chapters that I'm going through tonight, this issue here is what, what struck me the most. And... Jesus, how can I, how can I be a part of keeping the unity of the body of Christ? That's my prayer. Okay, so again on this issue of unity, we see. Um, sorry, back to verse four that there's one body. Okay, and there's one spirit. There's, there's only one Holy Spirit, and there's only one hope. There's one Lord. There's one faith. There's one baptism. There's one God and Father of all. Okay, so we all believe in God. And so I found this verse after I'd already printed out my notes. Okay, so 1 Corinthians... 
1.12. says, this is Paul writing to the Corinthians. He says, now I say this, that each of you says, I'm of Paul, or I'm of Apollos, or I'm of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Like, I don't think so. Paul's like, I didn't die for you. Jesus died for you. Peter didn't die for you. Apollos didn't die for you. Don't be baptized in the name of Apollos. It's about Jesus. It's about our, our Father in heaven. It's about the same Spirit that's living inside of me, that's living inside of you. One Lord, one faith. And we see this unity here. If Jesus is in me, and my life is lived through Christ, and Jesus is in Jeffrey, and his life is lived through the life of Christ, then we share something that the world can't comprehend because they don't have that same spirit living inside of them. And if we cause division in that, we're causing division in the body of Christ. And I don't think that that's something that Jesus is going to hold lightly. So, moving on to um, verse 7 here. There was something that really hit me in this verse. It says, But to you, sorry, but to each one of us, grace was given. Okay, so to each one of us, grace was given. And it says, According to the measure of Christ's gift. How big? Or what was the measure of Christ's gift? Was Christ's gift small? Christ's gift is huge. It cost him everything. We read in Philippians chapter 2 that it was not considered robbery for him to, to claim to be equal with God. It means he deserved that claim. He was equal. He had all of, of everything in heaven. But he humbled himself, took on the form of a man, came as a bondservant. And we read that he died the death of the cross. He was obedient to death. His gift was huge. And we have received grace according to the same measure. Each one of us, we've received this gift of grace Remember how we we read last week that our God is rich in grace. He has more than enough grace for you, for me, for everyone. And to that I say, praise God. Okay. On this idea, on this topic of unity... We see that God is placed within the church, within the body, certain positions, 
certain callings on people's lives. Okay, we read that he's given, he's called some to be apostles and prophets and evangelists, pastors and teachers, people going about the work of God. And we see for very specific purposes. We see it's to equip the saints to do ministry and for edifying the body of Christ. I pray that this message tonight is edifying and it's equipping. Okay? It says, Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. Because we don't want to be, we no longer want to be children tossed to and fro, carried by every wind of doctrine, by trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Okay, so we want to grow in Christ. We want to grow in His Word. We want to continue to grow up. You know, we don't want to be children like, oh, Jesus wants you to do this, or Jesus wants you to do that, or whatever doctrine we may hear, you know, when we turn on the radio or talk to some person on the street who thinks that Jesus had little nanobots crawling through him and that's how he did his miracles. You know, we don't want to be tossed to and fro. We read in um, 1 Peter 2, 2, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Okay, so we are to be desiring the pure milk of the word and grow because we don't want to be children forever. And we see this in verse 15. It says, But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things and to him who is the head, Christ. So we have a call here to grow up. You know, stop acting like children and stop just chasing after everything that's shiny. Okay? We see here that there are different parts of the body. You know, there were apostles, there were prophets, there were evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And just like we see in a body, there are different parts. We see in a plant that there's different parts. Alright, so we have... I'm, I'm going to look at a plant for a minute here. Okay, we have roots going to the ground. We have the plant, like the trunk of itself. Okay, we have branches that come off. We have leaves. You know, it's an apple tree, let's say. It has apples, fruit. And inside that fruit, there's seeds. Okay, if, if the tree was not unified, if tomorrow the roots decided that they were going to have the day off, there would be no water coming into the tree. Or if the branches decided they were just going to leave, we're, we're no longer part of this tree. We're out of here. The leaves... They go with it. The fruit goes with it. Everything goes with it. You can't produce fruit on a branchless tree. It doesn't work. 
We're to be unified. Okay, so, a couple more sections here. We're in um, verse 16. It says, from whom, this is talking about um, in Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together, by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working, by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So that's that tree. Every part is working together. Every bit's working together to produce that fruit. And it says, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. That fruit is sweet. That fruit is amazing. And without the body effectively working together, every joint supplying what it's supposed to supply, if, you know, if my joints weren't working, you'd, I'd know it. I wouldn't be working properly. And that's what God wants us to be doing. He wants us to be working properly as his body. Um, verse 17 says, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. How do they walk? It says they walk in the fertility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their hearts, who being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness to work all unclean, all uncleanness and greediness. That's pretty harsh. That's how I was. Does anyone else understand this part where it says being past feeling? You can see that on the tube. Zombies. Walking around, being past feeling, you know, being alienated from the life of God. They don't have that interaction with God. Therefore, they don't have the life that God offers. You know, if you unplug something from the wall, it's not going to get electricity. It's not going to be alive. It's not plugged into the source of life. So yeah, I can see how that might sound harsh, but the electronics not going to work if it's not plugged in. We're not going to work properly if we don't have Jesus. And Paul's saying, you guys have Jesus. You guys are plugged in. You guys are plugged into the source of life. You guys need to look like it. He says, you have not so learned Christ. Now, when I read, you have not so learned Christ, what I thought of was, okay, this is my wife. I know her pretty well. If someone were to come up to me and tell me, hey, I just saw Trista chowing down on a big old ribeye steak. You, that's someone else. Maybe, maybe it was chicken. Maybe it was tofu. It wasn't steak. Like, no, seriously. I just saw Trista eating this steak. Like, no, that's not the Trista I know. 
That's not the Trista I know. Now maybe someone else who doesn't really know Trista, that same person goes to them and says, I saw you eating the steak. Like, that's great. Trista was eating a steak. And, and they, they don't understand. In the same way, if I know Christ, if I truly know Christ, then I've experienced the life that he offers. And someone comes up to me and says, Christianity is about this. This is what Christianity looks like. You, know, you go to church on Sunday. You go to the clubs on Saturday night. You know, or whatever. This is what Christianity looks like. like. That's not the God I know. The God I know, I do go to church on Sunday. But then I fellowship with him every other day of the week. I interact with him every day. He's a part of every bit of my life. And the God that I know, he fulfills me. I don't need to go out searching for lewdness, uncleanness, greediness. I don't, that, that's, that doesn't need to be a part of my life anymore because of the God that I know. It says, you have not so learned Christ. That's not the Christ that you have learned. Do you know this Christ? Do you know the Christ of the Bible who offers new life? Who offers something else that this world cannot offer us? Verse 21. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, you put off concerning your former conduct the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man, which was created according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. Okay? We're to be renewed. And this, to me, this is something that daily needs to happen. Jesus said something along the same lines in Luke 9.23, where he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. In this passage here, we see that we're to put off the old man, the old man that's corrupt and deceitful, full of lust, and to, we're to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. How are we renewed in the spirit of our mind? We're to, to wash ourselves with, with the truth, with the, the pure word of God. Okay, so this is what this looks like in a practical way. How do we put off the old man? How do we cleanse ourselves? How do we put on something new? Wake up in the morning. You're wearing your pajamas. You're not going to wear those in the daytime. Those were night clothes. You get up in the morning, take off your night clothes, you wash yourself in the shower, the bath, you put on your day clothes. Okay? So the night clothes, we are no longer to walk as the Gentiles used to walk. We're no longer to walk in the way that we did when we were blinded by darkness. But we are to cleanse ourselves and we're to walk in the newness of life. So how can we do that? How can we take off our night clothes, 
bathe ourselves, put on our new clothes. In the morning time, when you wake up, ask God, Lord, Father in heaven, help me to put off the old man. Help me not to be like I used to be. Take, I want to take up my cross today and follow you. Open up the word. Read the word. Let it wash you clean. Say, Father, help me to put on the new man, the man that, that glorifies you, the man that just rejoices just in every bit of my life now because I have so much to rejoice about. That's a practical way to do this. All right, so we have one last section. And wow, time flew by. Okay, so this last section here, we see something about grieving the Holy Spirit of God. Okay, I'm going to start in verse 25. It says, therefore, putting away lying. And the putting away, right there, it's those things that someone gives up or renounces. We're supposed to renounce lying. We're putting away I'm never coming back to that. Okay, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. This is how we're supposed to act as Christians. For we are members of one another. You don't want to be lying to yourself. You know, we're not going to be lying to ourselves. It says here, we are members of one another. We're all part of the same body. Why would you lie to yourself? Put away lying. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. You don't want to hold a grudge against somebody, go to sleep that night, wake up the next day, and act like everything's okay. It's going to cause division. There's going to be something built there. You're going to have hardness of heart towards that person. God's very serious about this. He says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. He doesn't want us having anything between a brother. He wants us to to go and there's there's places in scripture where it tells us how how to how to do this we're to go and and ask forgiveness of our brother or our sister you know for for being angry at them don't let the sun go down we don't don't want to be angry at our brother or sister they're part of of our body this nor give place to the devil because when we harden our heart we're giving place to the devil to creep in and create a stronghold don't want to give him a foothold we don't want to give him a stronghold in our life let him who stole steal no longer. Okay, that makes sense. But rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who is in need. That God's transforming this person who used to steal, who used to be a thief. And God's creating him into someone who's a blessing, someone who gives to someone who has need. Okay? This part right here is a challenge. And if you can do this between now and next week, you're great. Okay. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. But what is good for necessary edification. I don't know about you guys, but there's some points where my tongue is just so hard to control. And, you know, when we're talking about unity our tongue is one of the first things that can cause division you know we can be so quick to speak 
so quick to say something that is hurtful, sarcastic. I almost responded with that to some, with something sarcastic. Um, obviously, that's something I struggle with. Okay, so not, nothing corrupt, but what is good for necessary edification. We're to be building each other up. You know, if I'm constantly tearing you down, how are you going? How are you going to stand? You're like this. This life sucks, man. I thought this was supposed to be good. I come to church and like. He's always saying these things, man. He's always tearing me down. He's like, we're supposed to be building each other up in Christ. You know, that was, that was the purpose um, of the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. You know, for the edifying of the body of Christ. We're all to be edifying each other. If the tree starts tearing itself down, that's not going to produce any fruit. Okay, so no corrupt words from our mouth. Let's try that this week. But only what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. All right, in verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. How do you grieve the Holy Spirit of God? The, one, the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Well, when you grieve someone, let's say it this way. Back when I was younger, when I would live at home, my mom had a set of rules. I lived, I lived with my mom. She had a set of rules. And if, if I went against my mother's will, if I went against the rules of my mother, and she saw me doing these things that were completely, completely wrong, you know, her spirit would be grieved. You know, it would make her, her sad. But it's, it's different than just sadness. It's, you know, you see someone that you love, and, you know, you walk by and you're like, I know that person in the street corner, you know, laying in the gutter. And your heart is just grieved within you. And, you know, you see someone that, that used to be married, have a, a lovely family, you know, two kids and just this nice life. And you find out that whatever happened wrong, you know, he was cheating, she was cheating. And the families tore apart. The kids, you know, messed up lives. And your heart is just grieved because you knew these people. And the Holy Spirit is grieved. When we see in 31, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. When as Christians, we're caught up in these things. Holy Spirit is grieved. It doesn't make him happy. He's He's torn apart by these things. So let's not do that. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God and Christ forgave you. And that last line there, where we're called to forgive one another, even as God in Christ forgave you, reminds me of a parable that Jesus spoke in Matthew 18, verse 23. Okay, and in this parable, I'm not going to read through it all because of time, but Peter had asked Jesus, 
He says, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Seven times? And Jesus says, not seven times, but 70 times, seven times. Then he tells this parable in verse 23 where there's this king who wanted to settle his accounts. He had some people that owed him money. And one of his servants owed him 10,000 talents. The way I understand it, a talent is a day's wage. 10,000 days wage. This guy had to work 10,000 days to pay back this debt. Okay, quick math, that's like 30 years. This guy owed him 30 years worth of labor, approximately. And it was obvious that he couldn't pay it back. He, the king wound up forgiving this guy. This guy goes out to his fellow servant, grabs him by the neck and says, you owe me 10 pounds, pay up. And the guy can't pay. So he throws him in, he forces him into debtor's prison until he can pay the debt. And just how stupid it must look from heaven when God has forgiven us so much. God has taken every bit of our shame and our sin and our guilt and nailed it on the cross with Jesus. Every bit of it. You know, an un, unthinkable amount in my life that God has forgiven me of. And Paul here is saying, forgive your brother, forgive your sister, forgive one another. Look at what God has forgiven you. Why would you not forgive one another? Guys, we have no excuse. If, if there was somebody here tonight Or if there's somebody that is a co-worker. Somebody that's family, a friend that's not here tonight. That, that you need to forgive. Guys, I'm begging you, forgive them. Guys, we have, we have no excuse. Jesus has forgiven us so much. Everything. And we're called here to forgive one another. We're supposed to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. And if you don't know Christ's forgiveness, well, then perhaps you don't understand this. Perhaps if, if you haven't experienced the forgiveness of Christ, well, then it might not make sense to forgive someone. But I want to give you the opportunity tonight if you haven't, to accept that forgiveness. Not because of anything that I've done, not because I'm anyone special, just as Paul wasn't anyone special, just a servant of God. But Jesus came and he died on the cross for your sins, for my sins, because we've messed up. Let's face it, let's be honest. We've messed up, we're not perfect. And, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, if you don't think you've messed up, you're lying to yourself. I lied to myself for a long time. If you think you can do enough good to outweigh that bad, you're lying to yourself. You can't. I can't. None of us can. And even if we 
think that we have reached that amount, you still have the bad to deal with. You still have the poison in the water. No, no matter how much good stuff you add to it, there's still that poison in there. You've got to take care of that. And Jesus, he didn't have his own death to pay for. He had never sinned. He had never messed up. He was God. And he came down. As we read earlier in Philippians 2.3, he humbled him, or 2.5, he humbled himself and came and took on human form. And he died the death that we deserve, that I deserve. And he offers us new life by rising again. He went to the grave and he rose again the third day. And it's really easy. The Bible simply says in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And we read in John three sixteen, For God so loved the world, that's me and you, he gave his only begotten son, that's Jesus, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then Romans 10.9, we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, and we believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And I want to invite you tonight to a simple prayer. Simply saying yes to, to God's gift. Is that easy? Is that simple? If you do know him, I want to challenge you tonight to be unified together as one. You know, to, to form a body that, that works properly as we are Christ's body, his bride. And just those things we went over, you know, if there's anything that, that is in your, in your life where you need to forgive someone, you know, all these things about putting on the new man, being renewed in the spirit, putting off the old. I challenge you tonight to search in your heart if there's anywhere in your life that, that God's challenging you with this. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for Jesus. Thank you for his death on the cross. I just want to lead a short prayer. You can pray this in your heart. You can pray it out loud. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for my sin. Thank you for dying the death that I deserved. And thank you for offering me a brand new life that I can experience you, Jesus, that I can have a personal relationship with the Father in heaven the God who created all of creation, the heavens and the earth. I believe that Jesus Christ came, lived a perfect life, and died in my place, rose again the third day, offering me brand new life, and I accept your gift of forgiveness in my life. In Jesus' name, amen.